Welcome to another exciting episode of the Path to Malleus podcast. I am Ryan Fellman, and I am joined with Ray Poulard, who is an extremely interesting individual. And um, Ray had been kind of sliding under the radar for me for a little while. Uh, I I had heard of him. I wasn't quite sure who he was. And uh, it was the Local Centrifugal podcast with Chance Lunsford that really got you on my radar because it gave me a chance to, to really understand you better because um, unlike a lot of the people that I follow you don't spend a ton of time on Twitter your your discussion is a little too in-depth and a little too long form to to fit perfectly onto Twitter which I would I'm saying that's a compliment um, <laughs> and, and mine can be the same way I'm, I think I'm a very different person with my tweets versus say my emails and my podcasts because Judging by some of the responses I get on Twitter, they're like, oh, Path to Manliness, you're, you're this guy, huh? I, I get it. I'm like, oh, calm down. Read, read one email from me and you'll see that I'm pretty sensible. Um, but you, you had a lot of interesting things to say on that podcast, which we'll get into uh, very shortly. Um, but why don't you go ahead and, and uh, tell everyone who you are and what you're about? Well, first of all, Ryan, thank you very much for having me on Path to Manliness. I appreciate it. Um, very interested in the conversations we're going to cover today. I guess that's a good jumping off part, jumping off point. Um, when I went on Chance's podcast, it was a transition that I was going through because I'm from LA originally. And so when I left LA, I came to Las Vegas, not unlike what's going on, I guess the housing market was sky high in LA. And coming out of college, a young family couldn't afford to move by out there. And so we came out here to Las Vegas. I was a lot more affordable. And also, I was always had an entrepreneurial streak in me, brought up my parents, my family, et cetera, my friends. And I wanted to do things, and I wanted to learn sales. So coming from a different background, which we'll get into in just a minute, I jumped into sales, and I got good at it. And... It was high-stakes sales in the sports gaming industry. I ended up running a department for the largest sports gaming industry in North America. I did that for about five or six years. But it's very high stakes, you know, high pressure, yeah. stressful. You know? Yeah, it's tense. So it is. Yeah, I, I've, and, um, I've done similar work dealing with, like, big money moves, um, yep. you know, like five-figure, six-figure dollar amounts at times. And, yep. I mean – in my business, it was um, a lot of like handshake agreements too, where like you sign it, you mail it off later, but really it's just done over the phone and it's, yep. it's, just, it's a strange thing. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes people are, <laughs> there's, there's some interesting emotions. Easter famine, right? <laughs> right, right, right. It, it, it took a little time, right. but um, I, I've gotten to a point where I just, it's not life or death usually. And uh, I've, I've gotten a lot calmer handling big amounts of money like that, but it's, Add to that degenerate gamblers on top again. <laughs> You'll see where I'm coming from. <laughs> so in that case, it could be a life or death matter at times. At any rate, uh, you know, high dealing pressure and stuff like that. I had to take a breather. Yeah. So definitely. I have family in, in outside of the countryside. So just went down to South America for a little while. I just want to take a breather. The plan was to take a vacation, come back, and get back on the horse. Right? Okay. So um, I went down there with plan for about, I was going to say about six months or a year. One year ended up turning into like six or seven. I can't remember. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so what, that, were you, what were you doing down in South America? I mean, were you still working down there or was it like a legit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
and I did stuff, sales and deals and networking down there, et cetera. Okay. And I ended up, uh, you know, have, coming back to the States, things had been different, noticeably different. Of course, day-to-day -day life, of course, is going to be different being gone that long. Yeah. But what it, I noticed was that the conversations were different. This, this seeing things going on from news media, we'd seen things from a distance like Occupy Wall Street take place and everything yeah. else. And I guess a parallel construction would be similar to something like we're seeing with the yellow vests take place in France today. Yeah, it, it echoes with, uh, with our past, definitely. Echoes, right. And so you come back, but you don't really understand what's going on until you get into the thick of things. And so I've seen these things take place in this new term had been bandied about now called social justice warrior. And I thought it was a joke at first. Like, what, are we, what, are we, what is social justice warrior, right? <laughs> and so conversations were different. And I began to see things now, fast forward, you know, about 10 years later, that I guess there had been maybe like three, I want to say cultural touchstones that I'd seen America transform in a sense since that time until now, and I tell you. So number one, I would say it would be the global banking crisis, 2008, right? Yeah. And then uh, number two, I would say would be the revelation of Edward Snowden of the National Surveillance State, right? Conversation. Number three is something that's very recent and it hasn't fully fleshed out yet. I would go on and call it, it's the college cheating scandal. It's flying under the radar right now, but I'll tell you, how these, these, these three things individually in and of themselves are enough to cause a lot of outrage. But in the aggregate, when you zoom out and look at the big picture, it tells a different story about what's going on in American society, what do I mean? So the college cheating scandal, which you may not be aware of. So you had these, you know, uh, Aunt Becky from Full House and Felicity Huffman from Desperate Housewives and a whole host of other elite and wealthy privileged people paying and bypassing the traditional ways of entering college, which of course is the path to what we've been taught, yeah. economic freedom and success, the American dream. Hey, look, you, you work your, your tail off, you get into college and boom, you got yeah, a way absolutely. to make a you living. Know, it's funny because in our corner of Twitter, a lot of people like to bash college and, mm -hmm. um, you know, understandably so. But um, I, I kind of, I'm a contrarian when it comes to that argument because okay. I went to school at the University of Illinois. Okay. Which is a great school. I can go to Tokyo, Japan tomorrow and tell people where I'm at school that they're going to recognize my degree and I'll respect it. You can't say that about every college. Um, right. and, and I got an economics degree. Okay. So it's, it's something that's useful and, and you know, it can make money. Um, so in my experience, my life is like dramatically better because I went to college. And I think it doesn't guarantee success, but it gives you a massive advantage if one, you pick a good school, and there's a lot of schools out there that are less reputable than others. And two, you pick a good degree. And those two things right there are where a lot of people get hung up on. And that's why I think they don't um, respect college the way they do. Um, and then the third thing is, um, you know, you got to do something with it. And I've got, there's, there's someone I know who, um, who uh, got like a really good degree, but then like just wasted their time after college and they're in debt and they're whining about it. And it's like, well, 
fuck. They're just giving you the tools. It's not their fault that you got a hammer, but you're not putting any houses together or whatever. Right. Um, so this is this is interesting. You've got these three different things, and I'm gonna I'm gonna admit that and I'm pretty sure you're gonna sell me on this. I think the college cheating scandal is not as big of a deal as you do, but maybe I'm wrong. And I probably am because I haven't really looked into it much. Um, and when you put these three together, it's starting to make me realize why I'm wrong. Because the global banking crisis I lived um, very close to, and I saw it coming a mile away. I didn't have any money at the time, so I didn't benefit from it. Um, but I, I recognize the fact that people that were making meager salaries were living in homes much nicer than, say, even my house, which is reasonably nice. And that, that gave a massive, it's hard to say this word, but we talk about equality a lot. And there's, there's no equality right now when it comes to the way the game is being played. So you've got these people that got bailed out from this banking crisis. And you got a lot of people that are right in jail. And you got a lot of people that are too uneducated or uninterested in it. that They don't understand what happened, but they paid the price for it and they're still paying the price for it. The Ed Snowden thing, that really frustrated me because a lot of people said, well, if you got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. Everyone just got hung up on it. It's like, who cares? It doesn't really affect me. I'm not a criminal. It's like, you know what? First off, bullshit. If I really wanted to, I'd go check a watch you for 24 hours and find a jailable offense that you do, and you'd have no idea. I mean, everyone does. So There's a book called Three Felonies a Day. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. Take a look I, at that book. Yep. I haven't read the book, but I've read like some articles that referenced it. Absolutely. Um, so with that in mind, it's called a cheating scandal, which... I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I'm saying, well, if I've got nothing to fear, I've got nothing to hide, because I'm thinking, this has been going on forever. And everyone that has money or has any kind of connection is, is going to use this to their advantage. And I've seen it play out. And um, college is so strange, because there's just so many different ways that you can get in, and they're not always merit. So um, as a reasonably wealthy white kid growing up, like, I went into college with no real advantages, and my parents didn't really know anyone. So I I just got in. Um, I was smart. I, I got lucky. But then I saw other people getting in because of like different little things. Like another friend of mine, um, his mother had a connection with the school. So he got in. And, uh, man, not, yeah. But six months later, he flunks out. So, but, but I'm guessing if you're like Hollywood, if you're like Desperate Housewives. They just gotta move a little <laughs> bit more money, and they can keep that kid in, right? So, tell, explain to me a little bit more, of like why we should care about this cheating scandal. It is under the radar. Good question. So, here's the deal. Think of it like this: individually, like we we're just saying before, individually, maybe not so much. It's bad enough when we get into the details in just a moment. But in the aggregate, collectively, you'll see it cuts to the undergird of American society where we meet that control myth that we have that that shared uh, mythology of American, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the, the, the spit and grit, the American dream, anyone can make it, it goes to that. Why? It wasn't just say like 13 families or even 33 families that they were talking about. This was a grift pulled off by 750, 761 to be exact. Wow, and that's what we know. Right, and it was over the 25 year period. So this goes to the fact that the game is rigged because these people are the most privileged, most wealthiest class of people, you know, in the country. And they're setting themselves up to be the landed gentry for the next generation. Right. Yes. It plays back to what you were saying about 
exacerbating income inequality. We have insane levels of income inequality. Is equality going to be around? No, absolutely not. And it, we've always had poor people around. We've always had these socially stratified societies that all, yeah. always be around. That's what it is. But when you tell people, particularly here in America, that's supposed to be the shining beacon on the hill, right? Right. That if you don't cheat, if you don't rob, if you don't steal, steal you know, to claw your way to the top by any means necessary, you'll have the opportunity or you won't have the opportunity to pull yourself out of the, you know, you'll be permanently marginalized, you know, a permanent underclass on society. So that gives people incentive to do bad things or that says that, hey, the system is rigged. I got no hope. I got nothing left to lose. That's dangerous to the fabric of society because now it goes against what we're saying is who we are, distinct and different from the rest of the world as America, quote unquote. Right. The American dream of, of hope has become the American nightmare of nihilism. Right. And nihilism. Exactly. Nihilism. So if I don't steal, if I don't cheat, if I don't grift my way to the top, yeah. not only my family, you know, my generations, we're done. That's it. We're, we're the Jackson Society forever. Yeah. That's a problem. That's yeah. a real problem. Yeah. And, and people treat you very, very differently based on social status. It's so funny to watch because I, um, you know, I grew up with a little, a little bit of money, not a lot, but like I grew up around a lot of millionaires and, um, <laughs> what's been really interesting lately is, so I've got this, I've got a 2015 F-150. It's a nice looking truck. It's, it looks about as new as can be. I've also got a 98 Jeep Wrangler and I drive them both. And what's interesting is the way that people treat you depending on what they think of you. So when I'm driving around the truck, they think I'm the super successful guy. And they see me driving around in this old Jeep. I'm wearing like my running shoes. I got the bandana on. They yeah. think I'm like some hood rat laborer guy, whatever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the Jeep Jeep is a classic American sports car, man. That's like a Wrangler, man. You get a TJ is a classic, man. I mean, I, I drive it more than my truck. <laughs> right. It's got like 160,000 miles on it. <laughs> but there's there's definitely like it's funny because we're not like in a caste society, but there's definite classism in this country, and ever since. Um, the three things you described, especially the banking crisis, those divides have gotten wider because oh, yeah. I, think, I think you're a little older than me, but I'm 31 and I remember growing up where it was very blurry whether people were wealthy or okay or poor and over time like it's just widening and widening and even the middle class, like that word gets thrown around a lot. Most people that say they're middle class are probably not. They're probably yeah. closer to lower income. They just don't want to admit it. But I mean, if, if your family can't afford to go out for a nice steak dinner once in a month, you're probably not middle class. And with the inflation that we've seen since this banking crisis with all the quantitative easing, yep, it was a very clever way to steal money from people without them noticing. Because without they, them noticing. they didn't lose the money, everything else just got more expensive. Yep. Or the packaging got smaller. Or the packaging got smaller, yeah. Um, a lot of the theft was in equity, you know, with the, the homes collapsing in price. And yeah, yep. there's, there's a lot of innocent people in that. Then there's also people that were greedy that were trying to flip homes when they didn't know what they were doing and they were yeah. leveraged up to their eyeballs because the money was so easy to get. <laughs> yeah. And, they, and they're trying to climb that social ladder. Yeah. You know, and good for them. Economics. I appreciate the hustle, but at the same time, right. like it got reckless. Eggs. Yeah. So exactly. look at, look at, look at across that spectrum though, right? So you have, on one end, 
rich fat guy bankers that held a gun to you know global economy and said if you don't give us 700 billion we're going to pull the trigger yeah in the middle you had people that have not gone to jail for uh the, the spying that they're saying that we're america we're different this is not eastern germany you know east germany in, in the 40s 50s um and those two on those in the spectrum you have civilian and government on both of those that got slaps on the wrist no one went to jail right yeah. and now you have this wealthy class of actors and actresses and banking magnets and insurance magnates etc because it cuts across the spectrum of these people paying hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands of dollars getting children um no one's going to jail for this well, you know unless you're little you know and so this cuts to the fabric that cultural tapestry of american society that's not, a real problem not only has no one gone to jail for the um ed snowden revelations quite the opposite they're, they're persecuting ed snowden um yep here's here's one for you there's um and this is somebody that i don't know but i know i know people that know this guy so this is a this is a national news story but it's it's um a guy from where i'm living now in tennessee his name is daniel hale and he's from nashville and uh, he recently just got charged with um uh basically leaking drone details so he was in charge of or not charged, but he was a big part of like the drone warfare program, and they were killing so many more innocent people than they want you to believe. And it and it just it broke him. Like he couldn't handle it. Everyone right. told him to just lay low, just you know, ignore it, go on with your life. And he just couldn't do it. And he's been arrested. Wow, I'm all for national security. I understand. I get it. Right, but he's not. There's a difference between like leaking technical specs of a drone software and saying what the drones were doing to me that's not necessarily yeah that's not national security to me that's just a word that gets slapped on people when they don't want to they don't want to expose what we're doing because america's got this funny image for a lot of people where it's really good guys and if you ever attempt to tarnish that image look out (laughs) i love this country i do I do. <laughs> I really, you raise my head higher than yours, right? <laughs> I wear that American flag being in all the time. <laughs> right. Make no mistake about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I, I love my kids and I love my girlfriend. But when they start screwing up, I'm letting them know, but this isn't okay. Right. right, right and right. I think that's what it is. I think the people that are, that are speaking up that are like raising these red flags, these alarm bells, it's out of love. Like they, they grew up in this country that's amazing and they're, they're watching it change. And change is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Right. But it also has to be guided in in the right way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah this yeah. is this is a scary time. It's, a, it's an interesting time. It's also exciting. It is. My point with that was so so how do we get to this point? Right? And right. so I study geography, human geography. Yeah. And what's the term geography? A cultural geographer? Cultural geographer. I was fascinated by that. Never heard that before. Yep, yep. So geography is a branch where you study. Most people think it's you know weather and climate, place names, (laughs) and it is. But it has another branch which has to do with what I'm talking about: human geography, right? Human geography, culture, right? So first of all, what is culture? Culture is essentially what human beings do. It's the way we do stuff, right? And so that's essentially human behavior. Yeah. And so. The question that I wanted to ask, putting these three things in, again, the aggregate, that spirit thread, how do we get to this point? 
how did social justice warriors, et cetera, come about? How did we not, how do we arrive to a point where we could not have civil conversation and try to you know, bridge the gap between you know, your neck of the woods and mine? What, what's the problem here? And so, you know, because eventually it becomes demoralizing. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then it eventually go further down the line, becomes destabilizing to society. Society is relatively safe, but it has become very destabilized. It's very, uh, there's a lot of anarchy and chaos and, and there's, a, there's, um, there's fear. There's fear of saying the wrong thing or even thinking the wrong thing. That, that crime of wrong thing is, is such a big thing. So it's strange how they used to be kind of, uh, you, you pick on the nerds, you would pick on the people that were weak. Now it's like they're going after the strong people, and it's it's you know basically the mass is going against whoever decides to step out of line. And ironically, it is by design, definitely. It's it's ironic that a lot of the people that are proponents of diversity seem to only want that as they want diversity of people and color and gender, but they don't want diversity of thought. Right. That's that's a dangerous thing, and I um. I will entertain just about any thought. I will talk to some crazy people out there just because I want to understand it. And I have found that the best way to dismantle something that you disagree with is to uh, let them talk. Give them enough rope and they'll hang themselves. You know, most people that are like really out there really wrong, like the word Nazi gets thrown around a lot. But whenever you speak to one of these guys, like a few people might agree with them, but most of them are like, all right, I thought, I liked what this guy had to say until he kept talking. He lost me at this point, you know? <laughs> right, right. Because most people, even if they, like, have whatever issue, whatever prejudice, not really hateful. You know, they, they want to get along. Yeah, with everyone's everyone. xenophobic to a certain extent. Everyone has their, you know. Even, I, even I hung up on, the like, the wall. I'm like, well, that does make sense. Like, we should control our borders. That makes sense to me. But then you start, like, actually meeting these people. And it's like, man, these guys are just good old, wholesome people. They want to be Americans. And that's more than some Americans can say. So, mm-hmm. right. you know, like, I'm not saying we need to let everyone in, but it's, it's, it's a complicated issue. And it's not as cut and dry as people want it to, to be. They want it to be either a yes or a no thing, but mm-hmm. the world's right. not black and white. It's very it's gray. Not. It's, yeah. not. It's, a, it's a bigger, bigger story at play here. So, yeah. so how do we get to this point? That's, that's what I was trying to investigate, trying to figure out. And so... Let's look at a mental model here, going from micro to macro. You have a okay. lot of stories out there, right? And a lot of people talk about memes. Yeah. And then, of course, you have a larger story there, which is narrative. And the end game of these is to capture culture. Because culture is the operating system for human beings. Okay? Yeah. Not unlike Windows, not unlike Linux, iOS, right? Human beings have an operating system. It's called culture. Programming language for that culture is story. So telling these stories, memes, narrative, and of course the in-game being culture. It's how we got to this point. What do I mean? Things have turned, you know, like we were just saying about wrong thinking, right? Political correctness. How do we come to this? There's a man by the name of Antonio Gramsci, who most people are not familiar with in this country. Antonio Gramsci was was the founder of the Italian Communist Party. So I like to think of things in this mental model saying all roads lead to Rome. We want to answer the problems that we're having today 
Lisa, the Italian founder, the founder of the Italian Communist Party. So what this man was really a guy, he took a look at the failure of the uh, Marxist revolution economically, that economic determinism was the reason why it failed, that they refused or did not notice the fact that you needed to capture the culture. And so when he got back to, to Italy, riding the wave, you know, early 1920s, whatever, he had a huge network, very popular. Um, soon after that, Mussolini jailed him and he gave him 10 years. And that was essentially a death sentence at that point because he got out after his sentence and died not long after. But during that 10 years, he wrote a seminal work, which was called the prison notebooks. He had to smuggle them out. He lost all of his network, all of his friends abandoned him pretty much. He had just a few friends left. And he smuggled this dissertation essentially out, leaf by leaf, and it'd be like 2,000 pages. Oh, wow. Really down to like 900. But in it, he said that listen, in order to bring about the communist revolution, we must capture the institutions. So his plan was a long march to the institutions. You educate your people. You get them in the schools, you get them in the churches, you get them in the you know, high ranking areas and you destroy the cornerstone of society, which is yeah. the family. Yeah. Fundamental unit of any society is the family. It's like you destroy the society, you destroy the family, society will come after we can bring about the communist revolution, you know, like a phoenix from the ashes. We'll you know, reconstruct things, but we have to get people's minds first. So that's how you get them. Even Lenin was saying, you know, give me a child for eight years and he'll be a Bolshevik forever, right? So that's his goal. If that was his goal, was to bring about the revolution, but in a slow burn, slow cook. You knock pieces off the chessboard one by one. Right, the frog the in the boiling water, yep. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that they got was Hollywood stories. So stories, movies, television, music, popular cultures, all been taken over by these people who yeah. would never admit it. Marxists that came from Gramsci, who wrote it in 1920, and it ended up being taken over by what's called the Frankfurt School. They took it and ended up refined by uh, Alinsky, Saul Alinsky. I don't know if you're familiar with Alinsky. Yeah, I am. But there you go. So you have Alinsky, Frankfurt School, but it all goes back to Gramsci. And so that's how it came about. Slow cook, slow burn. The thing about Alinsky, is why some of these conversations that we're not able to have to take place was Gramsci was more strategy. Alinsky was more tactics, the, the politics of personal destruction. So that's why we have the doxy. That's why we have the deplatforming today, right? That's why we yeah, have the, the swatting. It's stuff. scary. Um, By design. What's, uh, what's troublesome, and it's ironic, because I started out kind of speaking out against this, but um, especially as you start getting a following, like I've been able to do, mm -hmm. you begin to self-censor to some degree, um, because you, you, you start getting nervous. So yep. I had, a, I had one shot across the bow early on and, um, I used to be much more aggressive and I would attack people just for the hell of it, just kind of to get, get a rise out of people to get, um, attention. But I was, I wasn't just being an asshole. I was doing it because I believed they were wrong and I wanted to say what it was. Um, but I went after some big blue check mark girl and, uh, she sent her followers after me and I got suspended for, uh, I think, I think it was like a day. And, uh, 
it kind of fucked with me a little bit. So now like I'm sitting over 9,000 followers and I'm like, I gotta be careful who I talk to. And like, I, unless it's somebody that I think is sensible, I, I almost always avoid the blue check marks because they, they've just got a little bit more edge against you. Um, even today, um, I, I made a comment. I forgot about this too, but I made a, a tweet yesterday. I just said, planet fitness is a joke and planet fitness, like with the blue check, the official account, like said, uh, no, sir, we're not a joke. We're a gym. <laughs> I was like, Oh shit. I don't even know how they found me. And right. I, I didn't tag them. So I, I quote tweeted it and I said, like, look, you lost my respect or something when you guys are giving out free pizza. <laughs> but I have that moment where I'm like, I don't know if I should send this. This could be the, this could be the death sentence for me. <laughs> right. But let's think about that though. Right. They got inside your head. Yes, they did. Yeah. They did. They got them get inside my head. They're in everyone's head. They don't have to, you know, swat you or, or right. slap you in the hand. You'll slap yourself. And, You'll and, um, yourself. and I'm pretty guilty of it. Um, I'll admit it. So as I've gotten bigger, I've toned down my rhetoric a little bit. Yep. Um, but not, not completely. So on Twitter, I'm a little bit more tame. I mm. try to... I've listened to... Um, jack dorsey on joe rogan and i took what he said to heart because i believe it okay. um so i he kept saying it's the conduct um not the context or something like that or basically it was how you're behaving more than what you're saying and or con conduct not content or context not content whatever the hell so um i don't attack people anymore i attack ideas ideas and i think yeah, that's yeah, an, yeah. that's an important thing to do anyway yeah. so I'm, I'm proud of that but i'm also if I have something that I'm really vehemently against, I will say it, but I'm going to do it in my emails. I'm going to mm -hmm. do it on my website. I'm going to do it on something that I have more control over because on social media, free speech is uh, it's becoming elusive, it's becoming a gray area. They're, they're all, for lack of a better word, they're all clicked up. Silicon Valley, yeah. California, where I'm from anyway. And we're not, we're not liberal bastions. Right. Yeah. They, they've got their own brand of religion. Operating system. Yeah. And we're outside of it. Yep. Yep. I think that there's a great framing that some of the guys, I think, I think it's human events guys, a new platform is out there. They're framing it now from a legal perspective, saying that platform access is a civil right, which I think is a great way to frame the conversation yeah. in order to say, hey, look, this is, if you, if you branded yourselves as the public square. You know, yeah. Then, then voices need to be heard. That's what mute buttons are for. That's what block buttons are for. I don't need, you know, to look on my Twitter timeline and see tweet unavailable, tweet unavailable, tweet unavailable, tweet unavailable, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I right. want to see the conversation taking place. I don't agree with Alex Jones and some of the stuff he says, but hey, look, let, let him have his peace, man. You know, yeah. those people who resonate with him will follow him. That's what it is. You know, if I don't want to hear what he has to say, I'll mute him or I'll, or I'll block him. Yeah. Know? Exactly. That, that's what the mute button, mute buttons, and block buttons are for. I, I believe it's one of the cornerstones of this country is free speech. Yeah. You take absolutely. away free speech, then people's the knives come out. Yeah, yeah. When when people start talking, it, it gets it gets scary. Um, yeah. It's just. I think one of the issues is um, we used to have a lot more cohesion because we had the common enemy of Soviet Russia, mm. and when the wall fell brick by brick it started to fall apart where little things would happen and we'd, we'd kind of lose our connection with each other because we didn't have an enemy to go after so the enemy kind of became ourselves and then 9-11 happened mm -hmm. and everyone coalesced again and if you're young it's hard to imagine 
the world before 9-11, but what was also really interesting was what happened afterwards. Because on that day, it was scary. Everyone freaked out. We didn't know what the future was going to look like. We didn't know if this was going to become normal. It honestly felt like there could be buildings being blown up like every few months. It seemed like that was a possible inevitability. Would you say that that was our Kennedy moment? Kind of like our JFK yeah. moment? This yeah, because everyone, everyone that was old enough goes, where were you? And I know, I was, in, I was in seventh grade math class in uh, Illinois, and the history teacher came in and said the World Trade Center got bombed. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And, right. and in my mind, I'm picturing a building in New York, and I'm picturing like a big fire in like an office, like like one floor, like, what, like a little area. I'm like, oh, somebody blew up something. I'm like, no, a plane hit it. I'm like, that's weird. It was just a strange moment. But what, what was really interesting about 9-11 was what happened afterwards, where a lot of people, a lot of countries get afraid and, and fall apart. Americans are like, wait, who just punched me? Because I want to punch them back. You with me? Harder, right? like, we, don't, we don't like each other, but you know what? Let's go take care of them. We'll get along for now. And we'll deal with each other later. Come back to fight later, right? (laughs) There was a lot of that. Everyone bought flag. Every single flag in the country was sold. Like like 24 hours, every flag in this country was gone. Even the Chinese ones. Everyone wanted the American-made flags, but they're like, ah, fuck it. There's no more American ones. I'll buy the Chinese-made ones. I don't care. And we've fallen pretty far from that, uh, which is ironic because it's because of that. Because because of that, we suddenly gave in to the fear and – it became all about the Patriot Act and all this, oh all the security theater that we needed, and uh, we we became kind of afraid again. Um, and I was I was a dumb young kid, right? I was like fourteen, I think, fifteen when this stuff came out. I'm like, this is horrible, and like all these adults tell me, you don't understand. We have to do this, or it's going to keep happening. Like so, they hate us for our freedom. And we're gonna give up our freedom? Like I, I'm lost. It doesn't add up to me. <laughs> right. That's the wonderful thing about children, right? You, know, <laughs> uh, you question I'm, everything. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, exactly. Why? <laughs> my, my youngest. Why? But it, why? Why? It kind of set a precedent, though. It's like, okay, well, there's certain times where you can't say certain things, and you definitely can't badmouth the president. Now it's like, all right, so all right. he's always right. We're wrong if we disagree with him. And I, I think that slowly started leading to, to more of this. this like you, you're not allowed to say certain things and we ought to protect people's rights. And there's always an excuse mm-hmm. to take some kind of a right, like freedom and say, you know what? We don't need it right now. There has to be some type of pivot. And I think that election, uh, Trump election, I think was yeah. uh, a line in the sand where people said, you know, look, yeah, we got to do something about it. Love them or hate them, guys polarize. I, I, you know, I'm learning and I laugh every day. The guy's masterful with the media. You know, oh, I'm just man. like, this guy's brilliant. He's just putting on a clinic as far as like media is concerned. Even if you take nothing else away from yeah. this, I would tell you, look, you know, set your prejudices or preconceived notions by the guy's side. Learn from him from his yeah. business angle. Yeah, guys I think man, he's put on an absolute clinic. It's as far very as naive to say he's dumb or unintelligent oh, wow. or anything like that because there are so many things that he has done that are just masterful and right. like you said love him or hate him love i him. have learned so much from him there are so many clever things he does um especially if you read his books so yes one of, one of the clever things that i've borrowed heavily from is in the books he says he's worth 10 billion dollars and he kept saying that over and over again and it was <laughs> it was a lie and he knew it 
and everyone's like, you're only worth six point eight billion or seven point eight billion. And he kept saying it over and over again. And he's like, okay, okay, look, seven, eight billion, ten billion. I'm worth more than everybody else combined here, right? Does it really matter? And they just kept saying it over and over again for him. They're like, Trump, wow. he's only worth this much. And it's like, okay, does it matter? <laughs> and right. that number, that round number, it, people remember it. So they I tell them, well, I've got 10,000 followers. Like, no, you don't. You've only got 9,600. Okay, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Masterful. Masterful. <laughs> and it's really because we live in the attention economy. Exactly. So exactly. attention is a currency these days. That's yes. that's why you see some of these people on the other end, you know, Cardi B, et cetera, with the ratchety ratchet stuff. But she's got a lot more money than I do. I'm not afraid to admit, I'm not ashamed yeah. to admit that. You yeah, know? exactly. You know, another, another Trump moment for the people that may not like Trump, if you can't respect him, look at, um, ah, uh, shit, the cash me outside bitch. What's her name? <laughs> Daniel something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, she, was uh, on, she was on Dr. Phil. Right. <laughs> I thought I thought he was gonna school her, and I got about halfway in, and I'm like, she's funny. Catch lines. She's got this catch me outside thing, and she's doubling down every time she's wrong. I'm like, oh my god, she's using the Trump playbook. Like, it's the same thing. And like, and look at her today, Dr. Phil's whatever. I thought I thought he was in trouble. I thought the show was gonna be done after that because he was uh, he got embarrassed by her, and now she's got like a rap career or something. I follow her on Snapchat. I'm like, I don't like her. I can't stand her. She's mad. I gotta see where it goes. <laughs> <Gotta> see. <laughs> masterful, masterful, right, right, right. I, I respect. She parlayed it. She parlayed it. Right. <laughs> let me let me take a little side side panel sidebar on that. She had one little Christmas video on YouTube. It was maybe a thirty seconds a couple of years back, and she wrote a check for her mother's uh, mortgage, paying it off, and oh, she wow. gave it to her in the car, and it was like. Merry Christmas, bitch. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and her mother was sitting there looking at the check in tears oh out of gratitude. Yeah. But just looking, this is what you were saying to your point earlier. She parlayed that whole yeah. thing into just being ratchet, getting all this attention, <laughs> able, right? So using alchemy to turn yeah. lead into gold, by, yeah. you know, writing a, a, a check yeah, she, at 14, 15 years old, paying off her mother's mortgage. She did a lot. Telling her Merry Christmas. <laughs> she's God. she's so bad. She okay, crazy. She's part of um, in my mind, maybe I'm just a nerd, but she's part of that that tapestry, that cultural tapestry being undercut. So we've got these certain values, yep. and you look at yep. her, and you know back in the days where like Britney Spears did all of her crazy shit, back at, mm -hmm. back when that happened, it seemed intense. Like that was like I remember, I remember going to um. Uh, youth group when I was in high school and like they literally had a discussion about whether it's okay that MTV video words had her making out or kissing Madonna and Christina Aguilera like hey, that, right, was, right, the that was right. pretty evocative for that 2003 right. like today it's like eh, who cares that wouldn't even get attention people were like whatever you see what Miley did that was, was, that, the, no, that was crazy yeah so everything's We've got standards and they just keep sliding and sliding and sliding. And there's a lot of people like ringing alarm bells on this and they get called alarmists. They get called conservative or, you know, you're out of touch. The old ways weren't good. And that one throws me off because you can't, there's this common trap that you can't have this discussion on Twitter. So like, let's say you like traditional values. Right. And maybe to me, that means 
I like it for like high school girls to dress um, feminine and like to, to show some modesty. Like I think it's attractive and and um, nicer when a woman like has everything covered up somewhat. Like I don't need a burka, but right. you know, leave a little bit to the imagination, and you can still look nice. Whereas today they're like just showing it off because it's girl power, and it's like I don't think that's really empowering. <laughs> No, selling your body, um, but then you say that you want traditional values, and people are like, oh, oh, so you just want the woman in the kitchen the whole time, right? You want the man to be able to beat her. I'm like, look, nothing was perfect ever. So I it's... like certain things about this time. I'm not. You're throwing the kitchen sink out with, or you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. All right, like it's you got to have a little nuance, and in today's attention economy, where everything's quick, short, and it's yep. getting worse. Um, Nate Chronicles of Nate says we have a microwave mentality. I like that guy. Nice guy. He's a very nice guy. He's very authentic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I, I, I agree with him. Yeah, like what makes Microwave. me nervous is I watch some of these YouTube videos that have like an edit like every two or three seconds, and I got an eleven-year-old boy, and he like likes the YouTube videos. So I'm trying to explain to him. I'm like, look, man, watch this video for me, and like you know how like kind of like flickers. There's like a little quick. You can see like the scenes changing. I go, I want you to tell me every time it happens. And like, he watches this stuff and doesn't pay attention to it. But then I tell him about this and he's like, oh, scene, scene, scene. It's like every two seconds. Like, I go, look, man, it's, it's messing with your attention span because even when the guy has like a little stutter, a little murmur, a little bit of silence, even for a couple seconds, he cuts it out because they're so worried about losing your attention span. And it's getting worse and worse. And, you know, everyone's attention span's gotten lower and lower. And you can tell. There's a very distinct difference between people around my age and older and the people that are a bit younger where they grew up with instant gratification, with texting, right. social media. Right. Whereas, you know, I used to go um, to a friend's house and I would either knock on the door and ask, hi, Mrs. Cunningham, is Richie home? Or I would <laughs> call right. on the phone, like, can I, speak to, can I speak to Jeff? You know, right. like now it's all just texting. They don't even talk to anybody. Yeah, it, it, it messes with the social interaction. Human beings are social creatures. We're, yeah. we're the most social of all. Yeah. So the texting and everything, it's, it's a real problem. Let me go back just a little bit. Yeah, we to what you were talking about. Bounce a little too much. No, that's fine. This is <laughs> no, this, this is a good conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So we were pushing the line a little bit. We're talking about Overton window and we were yes. talking about the ratchety stuff with Cardi B and Danielle Bogoli. And then look how far it's gone. The needle has moved to where you have the trans kid. Have you seen the guy, the little kid? It's like 10 uh, or 11 years old. Daniel or something like that. Something. Right. right yeah. Right, right. I know. I, yeah. And, you know, you have like a transgender person behind him talking about, you know, snorting ketamine on the couch and stuff. And like, and my mind was just absolutely blown. It's like, where, you know, where are we going with this? And again, it's where are we going with this? Exactly. It's by design. People think, oh, you know, you're just a, you know, conspiracy theorist. No, if you actually look at everything, you can follow the breadcrumb trail back to what we were just talking about earlier. It all goes down to Gramsci. There's a concerted effort to flip society on its ear. We just and, mentioned earlier about being demoralized. And now conspiracy theorists, like, that's a word that, it's just a word, but the CIA has co-opted it. They Bingo. And they've, they've convinced people to say that, like, anybody that thinks of a conspiracy theorist is a nut, and they're just, they're lumping them together. Paranoid. Or, yeah, it happened during the Kennedy assassination. Really did it really? 
Yeah, that was about when they were doing because they were like, there was a lot of talk about that that happened because there, there was a million things that went wrong during that whole thing, and I don't I don't know what the exact deal is, and it's you can spend hours researching it and probably not sure. find anything, but all I'll say is the official story just doesn't add up. <laughs> right. <laughs> what What are we gonna do here, though, Ryan? What do you think? How How can we turn the tide, or how can we right. reweave that cultural tapestry? Well. Think? I think we were discussing this before we started, but um, so I, I had a, I actually had deleted my Facebook account back in like right. 2014. Okay. Um, and, and I had no social media. I was just completely off the radar for about three or four years. Um, people, people think you're dead if you do that. <laughs> you know, it's just like, geez, I didn't have social media forever. And it was like, a fascinating you're... thing because when I did it, it wasn't such a big deal because people still interacted with phone calls and texting. But as time went on, I was finding I wasn't getting invited to stuff because they would just blanket message on Facebook and they just kind of forgot that I'm not on there. And um, I, I kind of started to lose touch with people. But then worse, um, they start judging you. They're like, oh, there's something wrong with him. He doesn't have anything you're, to brag about. You're weird. You're creepy. Yeah. And, and the truth was I was really busy with work. I had less interest in just bragging about things online. I was making decent money. I had a nice girl. It was pretty good. Um, I, I was a little, I was a little lazy, at least by my current standards. Where I, I would come home from work and just drink beers a little bit too much and play too many video games. I, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of like, um, I didn't have a, as active of a lifestyle as I do today. Uh, but I, I wasn't like grossly overweight or anything either, so it wasn't that bad. But people really judged you. So how do we, how do we push back against this? And what I discovered, uh, kind of inadvertently, was if you if you see something say something let's let's steal that phrase if you have a problem with stuff why don't you speak up about it you know so i've created path to mailing this i've created this twitter account i've got an email that's got about um almost 600 people i think following it now i've got almost 10,000 followers if you want to and if you've got a message that will resonate with people and the internet's a big place you, you'll probably find someone be that voice of reason start speaking up for what you believe in you got at some point you have to stand up you know this this game of life is a very active life and a lot of people like to sit in the sidelines and watch but nothing changes the outcome of a game unless you're actually got skin in the game you, you've got to make moves yeah so you're you're doing that you're doing a great job of that um Thank you. I haven't gotten started uh, totally just yet, but organizing and trying to get, I guess, create my lane to get my mental model out in the world. Yeah. You made a good point earlier, I think before we started talking, that we have like you know, deep dive stuff. It's kind of like why I don't go on Twitter. So it kind of forced yeah. me to package the, I guess, uh, messages that I wanted to start getting out in what I, what I learned was called narrative transport. So narrative transport is my ability to tell you my message and have you tell a third party, you know, without losing context, without losing meaning, et cetera. Yeah. Message proliferated like that because it is, we live in, I believe in a battle of stories, a battle of narratives, a battle of ideas. So these ideas are clashing. One of them, you know, that frame is going to break and absorb the other. Right. So we got to get these ideas that we're talking about right now in a way that's appealing in a way that people can uh, repeat and proliferate and easily you know, resonate with them, you know, and easily uh, remember as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
that that cultural tapestry is huge and if we if we sit silent and we don't talk and we let hollywood and all these places that have been co-opted the media the news um even church i think church has fallen from what it once was Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if we let these people speak up and we don't say anything they're going to change the story and we are at risk of losing our cultural history um shift that over to window further and further there's a lot of people out there that are afraid of that you know they're they're worried about what's happening to history history's being rewritten in a lot of ways like you know it's and it's done in a subtle way and then if you ever speak up they'll attack you for it and it's like oh well you're alt right or you're alt left or you're just anti they, they slap these labels on people and yeah i mean who among yeah. us are so easily explained that you can just use one word to describe something right right we've got to have these conversations i think going back to what you were saying um and i'm going to use like a mnemonic device here in the sense that i'm going to try to tap into like our shared memory our shared cultural yeah right so growing up i don't know but i'm going to go out on a limb here and say you're probably like me your first uh experience maybe with entrepreneurship was maybe lemonade stand or <laughs> <laughs> um, something to that effect or so maybe mowing lawns or whatever or you know i made i made this goofy t-shirt after 9-11 actually this might be my, my, one of my first ones where i started selling them to raise money for uh i, I don't even remember what it was but it, it was some kind of a patriotic thing yeah um it had like an american flag like paint on a hand i i <laughs> i'm a numbers guy but i've got moments where i can be kind of artistic and every once in a while so i i this is like pre-internet, really. It wasn't pre-internet, but it was pre-social media. So I, okay. I don't know how much money I raised. It wasn't a lot, but it was something. Yeah. And it was yeah. it was kind of a mind-blowing experience, really. It was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Because you, you always think of entrepreneurs as like that other guy that was like so fancy. And I'm like, no, nah, they just they just made an ad. They just acted. Yeah, yeah. It, they create value, you know. Yeah. And, and the market is the ultimate arbiter, I guess, of that value. And so I think that these things are something that is innate to who we are as, as Americans. We've been brought up and that's been uh, values that have been passed down from generation to generation. Hey, look, unbeknownst to you as a child, and I'm just going to go say, like, if you have like a lemonade center, you're selling cookies, like girls, yeah. whatever, learn about supply and demand, yep. learn about marketing, learn yes. about accounting, learn about responsibility, you learn about discipline, learn about customer service. You learn all these things without really learning about them, right? Without having right. that you know, academic, boring, dry lecture. You just learn it by doing it and you have fun doing it. You're with your buddies, your family, whatever, <laughs> you know, and, and you learn these things. And I think that's something that we shared as Americans at Kinship. And I know yeah. me and my, my, my family, my buddies, we eventually graduated from mowing lawns, you know, yep. no snow in LA, but I just see snow until I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, you know, save that money and you get a, you buy yourself a bicycle. So you yeah. keep mowing lawns or whatever. You graduate to, we started detailing, you know, automobiles, detailing cars for retail. And you save that money, you start building like a clientele base, word of mouth marketing, et cetera. You know, and then you buy your first car, you know, a couple, you know, a couple hundred cars in a wash and you save your money, you buy your first car, you know? Yeah. These things are some things that we can, those who are looking to make a change, Try to find something like that progression of entrepreneurial values or that value system and pass those things on, you know, either through word of mouth or through fun and, and proliferate the narrative. That There is a battle of ideas going on here and it's becoming wider and wider yeah. every day. You know, they're using pop culture and I think that's a way that we can do it too. It's, I'm not leftist, I'm not rightist, 
You know, I try to find truth in both sides. There's got to be some common ground. You know, yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And move, um, the, you know, move the needle. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch because, you know, you can look at, say, a lot of people got upset about, like, the Marvel movies, like the Avengers and stuff, because they think there's all these little, like, plantings of, um, like, social justice warrior type things. And, and there is. There, there's definitely, like, perhaps an overrepresentation of, like, affected classes. But at the same time, like, it's kind of, it's kind of neat to see women be excited about that scene in Avengers Endgame where all the women get together and is it gratuitous? Is it over the top? Like, yeah, but I mean the whole movies are, all the movies are pretty over the top and gratuitous. Yeah. So I mean, right. I don't have a problem with it. And, and then like, I, I've been hearing people say like, oh, they're they're attacking traditional masculinity by making the one traditional masculine character Thor. They turned him from this really strong, powerful man into a overweight drunk. And it's like, yeah, I get that. And they kind of have um, but they're they're also showing something that I think is very relatable to anyone that's str- struggled with, say, alcoholism or PTSD, mm-hmm. or just you know, any kind of a rough patch. I, I've I've had that where I was in a bad relationship, and um, her bad habits kind of rubbed off to me, and I was drinking way too much for a while, and I I, I kind of lost my ways for a little bit. So we're human beings, but it happens. We're human beings, and even the god of thunder can slip off the bandwagon once in a while. So I thought that was a neat way to, to see how some people handle um, loss and, and PTSD. And then the reason why it doesn't really bother me as much as I thought it did is because the Hulk character is really interesting in that, where the Hulk's kind of, you got Bruce Banner, who's meek and intelligent and a little bit feminine. He's he's got that kind of softer energy, mild mannered, right. mild mannered banner, yeah. And then you've got Hulk, who's just unrelenting anger and rage, like that beast inside of you, the right. shadow inside of you. And we've all got it. And if you don't, think right. you're not in touch with your inner self. The beast within, um, right? The beast within. Um, and he he took them both together and he merged them into the perfect being where they're they're balanced. And it's the idea of that Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, where you know, the shadow side, the Tyler Durden, and and uh, whatever. The narrator, he didn't have a name, that's right, um, from Bike Club. It's right. the, I, I thought that by doing that, they're actually lending legitimacy to traditional masculinity by saying that you do need this. You need to balance it out, too, because you can't just be pure anger. You can't just be pure rage. Right. But there's a time and a place. You know, I ran a half marathon recently. At some point. Thank you. At some point, you're not a man. In the middle of that, you kind of just become this beast that's out there running. What's <laughs> yeah. You can't breathe. You know you're you're hurting everywhere, and it's like I don't care. I'm doing this, and there's no logical reason for it. It's raining. I don't give a shit. Then you challenge yourself, out. right? Then it becomes yeah. a challenge. You know, you yes. look inside and see. You know, deep, deep, deep down, what are you made of? Yeah, exactly. So, pop culture is powerful. It can be inspiring. Yeah. It can right. be corrupting. Be whatever, whatever it is. Um, but there, there is definitely a narrative shift that's been occurring and there's, there's a lot of like little things, little things are changing. Um, you know, a lot of the more traditional male characters are, are harder to come by. Star Wars. I grew up loving the Star Wars franchise because I, this is probably my first memory ever is watching Star Wars episode four, New Hope with my brother. I was like, I don't know, three or four years old. I was a young kid. Yeah. 
good times. You know, I got this older brother that wanted to hang out with this dumb little kid or watch <laughs> Star Wars. And I thought Han right. Solo was so cool. And then you watch the, the modern movies and they're just, they're killing off all the, the traditional masculine roles and all the, the like different um, diversity boxes are getting ticked. Like they want the girl in charge now and all the mm. traditional old patriarch or whatever. They're getting rid of them all. And it's just, yeah, the story is being told. It is a story being told. Yeah. I think that some of those pushing back and some of the things that we can take away from those are, and you can see pop culture is a great litmus test. Yeah. Like the Expendables franchise. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when, when Stallone and those guys came out with the pure, you know, just testosterone flow. I look love at the box movies. office. They turn, what? Who doesn't, right? That's just pure. <laughs> Just unadulterated, you know, balls to the wall, right? That's, <laughs> then when he came out, I don't know if you remember again with Rambo. When he did the, you know, the next iteration of Rambo, I, I haven't seen that one yet, actually. Oh man, that, again, it was gore, it's wanton violence. It's it's who we are, you know, human beings. Yeah. We're not all, you know, puppy dogs and, and, and flowers and, and, and uh, rainbow yeah. bright. It's just not who we are. We got that side. That yes, there's nothing wrong with being masculine. Yeah, we get half of our genes from our from our mothers. Happen yes. from our fathers to denigrate either side is wrong. Exactly. You gotta find a balance. It doesn't have to be equal, but it, right. it does have to be balanced. You know, it yeah. does have to be balanced. Exactly. Pop yeah. culture is something that I think that people who, like you and I, live in that live times that are looking to try to find, you know, a conversation, try to find common cause again, think this is something that we should do. Package mm -hmm. the narratives in the pop culture because it's personable, it's relatable, yeah. and it's enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. You know. Life stuff, and we like to talk it's about short, stuff. It's very short, and we like to talk about how people are wasting too much time with the video games, with the booze, with the whatever. But don't get me wrong; I still have a beer once in a while, sometimes too many, like a couple nights. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I maybe I, I woke up hungover the other day and couldn't go for my morning run yesterday. <laughs> but I got out. Pleasure. I got out there today, balancing everything right. That's so, right. That's right. I'm not infallible. Same thing with movies and stuff. There's, there's a difference between, here's the nuance. Some people want to spend 20 hours a weekend playing video games or all night watching Netflix, but it's okay to let loose a little bit. It's, it's balance. You know, you, you spend right. some time bettering yourself. You spend some time with the distractions because we need it. And, I yes, mean, fun is who we are. Fun is integral to yeah. who we are as human beings. We, we must ever, have fun. You ever talk to like that, that one guy, you know, like there's always somebody where it's like, hey, to see uh, the Avengers movies, like, oh, I don't, I don't watch superhero movies. I'm not a child. I'm like, well, I'm not a child either. That's weird. You, you just I'm, immediately I'm, write them off as weird. Man. Yeah. Right. So you don't, you don't ever, like, what do you do all day? <laughs> just sit there reading philosophy books like 24 7? Like, I got kids. You know how many times I've watched these movies? <laughs> you. Oh, man. Right. <laughs> And Since you become a parent, it's like, man, oh, man, people told me right before. It's like, you'll know when you have my phone father. Yeah, you'll, you'll understand when you have your own, right? You, oh, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, dad, whatever. But then I when you have children. We bought Spider-Man into the multiverse. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we watched it five times in one weekend. <laughs> and I'm like, it's kind of great, though. Like, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good one. I, I, man, that one's really cool. I was, like, blown away by it. Yeah. They got all the different Spider-Mans in it, including a pig. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you see how we can have that water cooler talk? This yeah. is something that we are as human beings, and we can yeah. find common cause. If you and don't do that, if you can't do that, guys will think you're weird, and yeah. shit will think you're creepy. Yeah, yeah. And then if you're, if you're floating too much above the conversation, 
disdain comes in. And that was one of the reasons why you were saying earlier, it's like, yeah, you know, you stay off of Twitter because your conversation kind of, you know, deep dive. You're right. So I, tried, I had to force myself, I was like, okay, look, how can I get a message out there that resonates with the largest audience bandwidth? And for that reason, I'm doing, you know, I learned to do like you do, right? Consume the content strategically. Yes. You don't have to overanalyze it, but, you know, don't let stuff just slip by your subconscious without, you know, taking that check mark in your head saying, okay, bing, I see that, but I'm not going to let it, you know, just color my whole narrative. Like, oh, you know, this is social justice, feminism, oh, women are bad. It's, no, no, look, I get it, it's there, but I also yeah. going to have my own narrative filter up. Yeah. Say, I ain't going to let that affect me. A narrative filter. And that's what a lot of people are, are lacking. And I, uh, some people are afraid of it. They're like, oh, they're, they're worried that, that people are going to be corrupted. Like, oh, they're teaching mm -hmm. these kids these things. Like, ah, are they? Talk to your kid. Like the, um, the APA had that like um, uh, guideline about what traditional masculinity is and all that. And it was just a joke. And then uh, <laughs> right. Razors, Gillette had that commercial. Oh, God. Real, real <laughs> right. right, right, right. I was, I was angry. And I wanted to like, bitch slap him in this like long form article and then i i realized i was being reactionary and i'm like i need i need to think about this for a second so i digested it for not that long maybe an hour <laughs> but but i i calmed myself down and i wrote i forget if it was either an email or an actual blog post but i, I wrote about how growing up my image of what a man is wasn't made by fucking razor companies bingo it was E-Man. It was Han Solo. Right. It was Raiders of the yeah. Lost Ark. So yeah, 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 yeah. At the end of the day, it's a commercial. Like I don't. I think most people don't even watch commercials anymore. Like every once in a while, I turn on like a baseball game and I'm watching the commercials. I'm like, fuck, I haven't seen any of these before. This is fuck. weird. Thanks, thanks, Tebow. Yeah, right. <laughs> thanks, Netflix. <laughs> right. I'm too busy doing all this shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the thing. We we live in attention economy. We live in the experience economy, like you were saying about running the half marathon, you know, obstacle yeah. races, uh, race, yeah. coming to Vegas. This, you know, you're gonna have like half a million people come in and this is like, I don't know how many years they've done it, like 10 years. You know, you have all of these great things, popular culture. Yes. Um, I think that you, you turn around and use like Art of War Sun Tzu, I think it's chapter four, or section two, something like that. The, the key to victory is taking what the, there you go. There you go. Baby. I read it like almost every day. <laughs> there you go. You can tell me better than I can then. So, so you take what the enemy, the, the key to victory is taking what the enemy has given you and using it against them. Yes. So you know, consciously, they're using pop culture against us. And pop culture, let me say this, it's not technology, it's not armaments, it's not heavy machinery. Pop culture is America's greatest export. Absolutely. The reason why you see these people fighting vehemently to maintain their way of life because they know culture is a human operating system. You get people, it's behavior. You get yeah. people to adopt your way of life. It's game over. You don't have to drop a single bomb. Yeah. They'll do it to themselves. Like we're almost doing now. We'll yeah. tear ourselves up from the inside. Yeah. We should be flying giant C-130s over the Middle East and just dumping Levi's out the back. <laughs> hey, bingo. <laughs> culture is manifested in the way we dress as well. You can yeah. immediately notice someone who's either American or had, you know, contact with American culture, but jeans, a ball yeah. cap, a t-shirt, tennis yeah. shoes, you know, you're traveling overseas, you know, immediately 
that person has had contact with yep. American culture or they're American themselves. Yeah, it's funny. I see like Europeans that like dress all refined, and I'm like, I don't even know like how to start <laughs> looking like that. Like, I look You're in my right. closet. I'm like, I've got like a few polos. I got a few button downs. I've got like a hundred t-shirts. <laughs> we gotta get you set up with Tanner Guzzi, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Culture got a little bit. Uh, I got the was it like the rakish look? I think because I, I like to wear like the, the more rugged stuff. But you know, I go out hiking, I go out running, I got kids, so I, I can't be wearing like fancy clothes too often. Oh, right, destroyed. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, culture. It is yeah. culture permeates everything. Absolutely, I, I think you said so um, culture um, creates mindsets. I thought that was really yeah. fascinating because. There's a lot of things that you do because of your culture and you don't even realize it. So mm-hmm. I haven't left the country like you've had, but I've had the fortune of traveling and living in a lot of different parts of this country. It's really interesting. Big how, country. Yeah, everything's very different. So like, I grew up in Illinois and sports are very dominant there. So almost everyone wears tennis shoes like all the time. A lot of athletic wear. Um, you know, I, I dress almost like I was like a black athlete. <laughs> I'd be like wearing like the track pants, <laughs> like the, the dude, because like, I, I was working out a lot. So it just seemed like yeah. normal to me. And then like I moved to Indiana and it's more like redneck culture. So people wear a lot of cowboy boots and jeans, um, more like rugged clothing and stuff. And it's funny because it's next state over. And then like I went down to Southern Alabama and it's all like fishing garb. It's where you live, oh, whatever no, 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 energy no. changes the way you look. Go out to Boston. Look at the way those people dress out there. It's a, it's a whole different. It's it's even different from like parts of the city to other parts. You can tell like the financial district versus like you know like the southeast in Boston that are more like kind of like thugs looking like like uh, what's that movie yeah. The Town? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With ben Affleck. Yeah, yeah. Ben, they, they dress like thugs. They look like just hood rats. You know? Right, 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 right. Ghetto gangsters, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's serious, and then you were taking it just a step further. I'm from out west, right? So people from yeah. LA, you know, dressed up, even even Hawaii. You remember yeah. that used to be a kingdom. So you got really? a different way of dressing out there. A lot of you know traditional Hawaiian, uh, you know, the, the flowers <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, and that, that's you know, going to business meeting in Hawaii is totally acceptable. That's business attire. That's funny. Know? That makes sense. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Dress up in a three piece suit in tropical climate? You know, you'd have to strong. Yeah, no, I lived down in the Gulf for a while and it was it was a little yeah. like that. A lot of like the, the fishing garb, the linen stuff, um yeah. Shorts and sometimes people like walking around barefoot in places that are <laughs> weird. <laughs> I couldn't get used to that one. <laughs> right. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I have a hard time walking around my backyard and without shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> But this yeah, is good. So, this is yeah, this is good. So and it's good too because we're we're from totally different. Yeah. Uh, say for example, the internet is a great place to connect and network with people. Yeah. Just like you were saying earlier about building your own platform, having the public face, right, yeah. and getting your message out there, but also building your own platform, mm-hmm. staying on your own two feet is important. I, I think it's important to hedge your bets. I think um, you just have to expect that certain way to phrase it. The phraseology. Yeah, and I don't want to lose my Twitter because that's a great way to um, to generate attention. Um, mm-hmm. My website, fifty to sixty percent of my hits come from Twitter. It's just it's effective, wow. and I've yeah. got a good size following there. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to branch out to other things, but it's it's mm-hmm. big. 
Um, I've, I'm pretty decent at SEO, so I'm, I'm getting a lot more search engine hits, which makes me more comfortable because that's something I can, you know, stay in control of a little bit better. But yeah, there's there's a lot of ways we keep talking about like how can we um, establish our own cultural narrative? How do we keep this cultural tapestry intact? Yep. Speak up, you know, start your own website, start an email list, start talking to people, be vocal, engage with. Like it or not, the community at large, the uh, public square is largely gone online. That's where most people yeah. spend their time now, and it's not all bad because um, where, where do you live now? You're are you in California? I'm in Las Vegas. You're in Las Vegas, yeah. So you're Cincinnati. in Vegas. You know, I'm I'm here in Tennessee. Um, I I've done, I've talked to people in the Dominican Republic. I've talked. Our last podcast was a guy in Germany. Wow. You no, know, and. These are all contacts that I never ever would have been able to make if it weren't for the internet. So it's it's a really cool tool, and it's it's great to be able to connect with people. And I, I love these podcasts because you can talk about so much stuff, and you get more nuanced, and it's less argumentative. Like I got into an argument with a girl um, recently on Twitter, and uh, I, I was trying to get her to come on and have a discussion with me, and I think she thought I was going to like try to fight her and argue with her. Well, yeah. yeah. But I was going to completely fuck with her because I was going to find everything I agreed with on her and just talk about that. And I was going to show <laughs> how much we have in common. And there was quite a bit. Like, wow. You know, like we had. Like, she didn't do it though. She, she, nah, she, she didn't walked. do it. Maybe, maybe she'll change her mind and come back on later that she hears this. But, but yeah. um, that's all right. But like she was talking a lot about mythology. And uh, okay. I, I've gotten really fascinated by like Norse mythology and, and mm-hmm. Greek mythology. And then. You know, that's that's more of that tapestry. It's people connecting with their, yep. their roots and stuff, and it's right. uh, it's it's just it's, it's a powerful thing when you see these stories that have been able to survive for thousands of years. Think about that, right? So yeah. tapping into Greek mythology, yeah. I mentioned earlier about having a mnemonic device and trying to you know tap into a shared memory that we have. Yeah. So Mnemosyne is a Greek goddess of memory, right? Okay. Also happened to be the mother of the Muses which, you know, are, you know, the fairies and sprites that inspire us to, to create value and create yeah. art, et cetera, and, and things. So stories, humans have transmitted knowledge since time immemorial through sword, right? So you have these cave paintings that are between the Pyrenees Mountains, I think between Spain and France, they're 30,000 years old. Yeah. And I think maybe about a year or so ago, they found some cave paintings between Cambodia and I believe Malaysia, some of Thailand. And I think they dated them to 40,000 years old, right? And then I think maybe about six months ago, they found some rock paintings in South Africa that they dated back to 70,000 years old, right? Yeah. So this is who we are as human beings, story. We transmit story. That's 70% of what we learn is through story. Now, how many words are there for story? Myth, tale, legend, epic, saga, you know, gossip, rumor, scuttlebutt. These are all stories, right? Yeah. These are, whether or not it's true or not is a different story, right? Right, but, right. Yeah, stories are who we are. Stories, you know, are, are, are what make us human beings. So those so memories that you're talking about, exactly, sure. I think a lot of people get too hung up on whether it's true or not, because even if it's not true, it tells you a lot about something. So, like, we look at these things from thousands and thousands of years ago, and we're like, well, it's just a story. It's not real. And it's like, well, that's okay, because... Most of it's going to be real anyway. So, like, look at, say, John Wick. Mm-hmm. It's not a real story, but right. it tells you a lot about our society. It tells you about what we value. So, let's say 10,000 years from now, humanity's gone. 
and uh, maybe instead of uh, putting music on the Voyager disc, we put John Wick on it, and these aliens start watching it, and they're like, okay. I don't, I don't know if this, this is real or not, but apparently these people do not like it when you kill their dog. They have these weird little metal things that explode little pieces of metal at each other. Right. Sometimes you kill someone with a pencil. They have these cars that they drive around. It, you can still learn a lot from things that aren't true. You know? yeah, yes, good point. Yeah, good point. and it, it, tells, it tells what the society values. It tells the way they interact, the way they live. So, you know, you can look back at Greek myths. You can look back at the Bible. True or not, you can learn so much from it. And I think too much time is spent arguing over whether it's true or not and not enough time spent on what are they trying to say and how the can broader that, context. Uh, sure. Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, I love writing. I don't know if I can do fiction or not. I've never really tapped into it, but I've been kind of playing with the idea of it lately because I'm starting to think that if you can create a good story, people are going to get hooked in it, but then you subtly put in your own narratives into it. You put your own memes, your own thoughts and ideals, and what are we trying to say? That's a powerful thing. And if you're really yeah. lucky and you make some big story, like, I mean, look at Star Wars, even whatever it's going through today, like, there's hardly anybody in this world that doesn't, like, know at least a little bit about it. And it tells a lot of neat, a lot of neat stories, some of them better than others, but it's, it's a fascinating thing. Especially, like, you know coming right out of, what does it do? It taps into the uh, Campbellian myth. Joseph Campbell was, like, one of the three greatest storytellers, I believe in the modern era. I, I call them all the cinematic era. He taps yeah. into the, 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 the hero's journey. The hero's journey. I love it. Right. Yeah. Right. We were talking about earlier, right? The past and the future. Yeah. I, got a, I got a kind of tongue-in-cheek funny article up on uh, my website about Top Gun. And uh, it's, it's, I'm saying how it's like the ultimate pickup artist guide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of goofy, but it, um, it also, it's the hero's journey where Maverick goes through and it's, and it's a really good example of one. And Lost in Redemption. Yeah, I love when people are like, "Oh, that's just some dumb Hollywood uh, popcorn flick." I'm like, "It's it's actually more in depth than you might think. It doesn't look it like, is. but it's that, a good story. the movie, the big cinematic era. There's a lot of that where you're just talking about is it's from Joseph. Yeah, yeah and and Maverick's dealing with the loss of his father who died um, in a classified duck, and they won't well. tell you what happened. Yeah, when he lost duck in the accident. You know, goose. You feel like oh, it's my, I'm birds. sorry, goose. Yeah, there you go. What are those birds? So he's, yeah, lost. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What guy can't relate to to seeing something like that? That there's things that happen to you. That everyone, I would say, everyone has a, a goose moment in their life where something tragic happens. So, um, <laughs> I I used to be, I don't know, like Tony Stark's another good one. So mm -hmm. I used to be like Tony Stark and Iron Man 1, where I was just having fun. I'm in the fun B. You're in the humdrum B. You know, I'm, I'm drinking, having a good time. I'm laughing about everything, not taking anything seriously. And then um, I just had a couple of little things that happened to me in my life. And there are those goose moments. So um, I haven't talked about this one very much. So I started going blind one day. Whoa. And uh, I'm sitting there doing my job. And it feels like a shade's coming down in my left eye. Like, I felt like my eyelid is closed. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, I'm pulling it up, and I'm, like, mm, I still can't see. And, like, I could see, but, like, the top of it was coming down. It was getting dark. And uh, I thought it was just, like, a bad contact or something. It was, whatever. Yeah. Next day, 
it's more pronounced. I'm like, all right, this this is kind of scary now. So I schedule an eye appointment. I go in like the next day, and it was so serious that I think three days after I went in, I'm I'm going under the knife. Whoa! So I was 28 at the time, and I had what was called a retinal detachment, which is very common with people that are like 75 or it's boxers. like Sugar Ray, right? Right. Yes. Sugar Ray Leonard. Right, right. Yeah. So they kept asking me over and over again because they had literally never seen someone remotely that close to my age have this problem before. And they're like, have you had any head trauma recently? And I'm like, nothing. I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, nothing. The last time I had like anything remotely close to head trauma would have been like maybe in high school. Like I, I don't really get into fights. I, nothing. I, right. Couldn't figure it out. Um, it happened to my mother. So some mm. of it's genetic. I also have like remarkably bad vision so i think that played into it a little bit too um but i I mean i'm going blind and i go in there and i'm good today um one of my eyes is a little bit worse than the other one because i caught it late but uh one eye is perfect the other one's a little not great i've actually got a blind spot which is kind of weird it's 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 not black either like you think there'd just be like a dark spot in your vision it's just your mind it autofills it. So if I look at a tree, my my eye will guess what a tree looks like, and I can't tell the difference. Crazy. But if I look at like words, it's like hieroglyphs. It can't jumble them. It's wow. it's super weird. Actually, I was I was here's what's retarded. So I'm not supposed to get hit in the head. And I joined a karate class. So I was sparring mm-hmm. the other day with this girl, and she throws this jab at me, yeah. and it went straight up my blind spot, which I don't tell anyone about, so they don't know. Oh. But I just never saw it. And she just like smokes me right in the mouth and her eyes got big. She goes, I thought you were going to block it. I'm like, no, nah, you're just, you're just too quick. Yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't see. <laughs> wow. So that happens to me. I go through my divorce, which I've talked about a lot. Um, and I just, I had a lot of issues going on at the same time. And that was my goose moment. And mm. a lot of people can struggle with that. It can be that moment where they're like, look, I, I had a bad I had a bad luck in life, you know, things just didn't work out my way, but instead it inspired me. It made me a little bit more serious, made me more mature. It helped me go from being like Iron Man and Iron Man 1 to more like Iron Man in the um, later Avengers movies where uh, I've, I've got a purpose, I've got a mission, I've got a hero's journey. Yeah. Hero's journey. So I think to really become your own hero, you need to go through that hero's journey. And I want to like warn people, like just, just be better. It just doesn't work that way. You have to go through that goose moment. Yeah, adversity right. that happens to you that obstacle that you triumph over and it makes you a better person it's also kind of addicting i think that's why i've gotten really into like these races and the obstacle races so uh <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a runner right that's what everyone likes to say yeah. i used yeah. to it all the time i was like i was a lineman in college, in uh, high school like when i played football wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. wow. I'm not a runner i don't want to be a right. runner so i ran my first 5k ever last year i ran my first half marathon this year I've done a Spartan race. I got another one lined up. A Spartan, whoa, yes, that's yeah, tough money. If you want like, if you want like a little bit of a goose moment that's not like seriously traumatic, Spartan race is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you have to train? Oh yeah, yeah, and it's it was a um, it was a pretty intense thing. So the reason why I tell people to do this so much because it, it motivates you to work out harder. So, okay. I trained, and in about six months, I lost like twenty pounds. I, uh, I learned how to climb a rope, um, all sorts of crazy things. Like, and uh, it, it just, it transforms you. And then you get done. And it seems a lot of people probably hear this and like, I could never do a Spartan race. That's impossible. I said the same thing. And okay. uh, 
the guy that got me to do it, he's um he's uh the head of this martial arts dojo in town. And as soon as I said I I'm not I can't do this, he goes, Yeah, you can, because we're gonna train. Then it becomes like this challenge. I'm like, all right, well now my manhood's at stake, right? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta check my balls. <laughs> So I, have they dropped yet oh yeah right yeah so i as crazy as it sounds i joined the uh um an eighth degree um whatever they call him uh black degree black belt and his and his wife who's like an ex-olympic bodybuilder and i'm like yeah for some reason i'm gonna run with these guys but uh yeah that's um that's another thing that survived is really cool you know these spartans that had this warrior culture that even though they're not around anymore, the idea of it survived. That's and their story lives on. Their story lives on. I think that's amazing. Yep. Um, Banksy yeah. had a quote. If I can interrupt you really quick. Banksy, an artist, right? Yeah. The, the rebel artist from, I think he's a British Banksy. Yeah, the quote has something like this. Well, like, we human beings, we die twice in our existence. The first time our physical existence dies, and then the second time, a little bit later on, when someone says your name for the very last time. Yeah. So it taps into what we were talking about earlier about story and memories, and you know. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. something. There's something about humanity that really wants our story to live on. Um, Good point. Good. Point. I I have a theory about this. Okay. I I buy into wholesale the idea of uh, Graham Hancock, and yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. The idea of the lost civilization. So I think was death from lost civilizations. I'm I'm 100 convinced that we had a civilization that was way more advanced than we give it credit for, that existed. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't have cars, but they had technology that far su supersedes our own in certain ways. So mm -hmm. I went a little nuts down this rabbit hole for about a year um, during my divorce, where I got obsessed the, with the pyramids. I was just called to them. I couldn't explain it. Okay. it. Happened around the time of the lunar eclipse weird mm -hmm. thing solar eclipse. and I, I just start like studying them and there's there's math in the pyramid and that's what's an, that's what's amazing about the pyramid it's not that it's big it's not that it survived this long although that's amazing it's the math in it and there are equations that you can see if you look at the size of it and different things but there's a ratio um i forget exactly how it is it has something to do with like the circle around it if you put a circle around the base of the pyramid and then like the um the height of it and this ratio is the exact same ratio as the moon to the earth precisely right so somehow they figured this out they figured exactly exactly the size of the earth and the moon uh, you know and you know that's thousands advanced. of years ago thousands of years ago and like we like Let to think of these people as just being some dumb guys drawing cave paintings and <laughs> we couldn't do that today think about this right i think it was Malcolm x that said if you put paint on a house today, it may last five years, but some of the paint inside the pyramids <laughs> is still bright and glowing thousands of years later. Incredible. It's Incredible. Insane. Yeah, it's, yep. it's, it's just mind-blowing. But I think in our DNA, because we lost all this, I think it got hardwired into us genetically that we are supposed to remember. We're supposed to keep our, our stories alive. I, it's like we're scarred by it as a species. Funny you should say that um, there was scientific discovery, I think it was in 2001, called the FOXP2 gene. Okay. You know, and the FOXP2 gene is specifically about human beings having genetic you know, disposition to story. That's, it's in it, like you were saying, to your point, it's hardwired into us. 
for story, for memory, for storytelling, Vox P2. Really? So when you combine these things, going back, or let me touch on a little bit, let me try to have a, a weave a connective tissue in there. We have the Fox P2 gene that's hardwired human beings for story. We have mnemonic devices, Greek mythology, goddess of uh, memory in the muses, et cetera. Then you have, touching to your point about Spartan races, dopamine rush and oxytocin, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the things that, and adrenaline. Oxytocin, that love you. chemical, and, yep. Exactly. These are the things that make us up as human beings. That, that book, I think, is, I think it's called Flow by Csikszentmihalyi. Check that out. You might do that. But yet, when you combine these things, you see that we as human beings have a lot more common than we do, you know, our differences. Yeah. And it's old, man. It's old. Yeah. And so to your point again, something that keeps hardwired in us to keep our story or keep our species around, you know, keep our story alive, keep our story, keep our memory going, you know, it's there. That's why I love stories so much. And I particularly use pop culture to frame things in a way that, that cuts across or resonates with the largest audience bandwidth. You're not going to resonate with everybody. It, right. It's right. But pop culture is a good litmus test to see who's going to put money down to go see John Wick. Who's going to put money down to go see Avengers, right? If you got a story arc for the last 10 years and like 20 movies or something like that. 21, you know, yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And so... You, the market, free market says that, hey, look, this is working. Yeah. Right. Across a, you know, a, 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 a demographics. And so, pop utilize and, you know, to poo poo it would be a grave mistake. And not only that, exactly. we have the greatest storytelling platforms in our hands right now. We have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have Amazon right there in this apparatus of, you know, our, our small our phones, and we could tap up those you know, a, a virtual, virtual catalog of stories, endless amounts right there at the palm of our hands anytime. Yeah. yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, there's a, I, I haven't gotten too far into it. I only watched two episodes, but there's a show on Netflix called The Society. And um, it reminds me a little bit of Lost. That It's a really, really cool premise. And I'm 100% convinced that the writers have absolutely no idea where it's going. Um, but the idea is there's this city. It's almost like Pleasantville. And uh, no one really knows why. But everyone that was an adult is gone. The society? Yeah. And there's like all these kids. And they're stuck there on their own. And they're trying to figure out how to live, what to do. And um so they've been there for like 14 days or so and all of a sudden it's just it's turning into anarchy people are starting to fight they're they're Mm. stealing food someone torches a car and it's like splitting into two like divergent groups so it's it's a neat tribalism yeah tribalism and it's something that just happens um it's actually it's it's kind of a funny story because there's a there's a real life story um where this group of scientists they were biologists created something called a biodome okay right right yeah, and they were trying to see if they could like create um, trees and life, and if it could survive in this little bubble. Um, and like one of the interesting things they found was uh, trees are weak as shit if they don't have wind because they aren't mm. being tested. They're not having any adversity or whatever. They're they're soft. 
but it, but in the study they didn't mean for this to happen but after about eight weeks or so they end up canceling the whole experiment because the two groups or the scientists formed two separate groups and to this day refuse to talk to each other <laughs> it's just there's something about humanity about society where they just naturally split into two divergent groups it's it's a I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's a survival coping mechanism or DNA or, or what, but we're meant to be divided at times. Yeah, it's, I don't know if you can hear me, you're cutting out a little bit. Um, but it's, it's a fascinating concept, this idea of, uh, of, of tribes and how we, uh, we so long to human, connect. Human yeah. control. Wow. One second, you still there? I'm still here. Yeah, you're, you're a little choppy. Yeah, that's insane. You still there? You glitched out on me. Yeah, you're like, what? <laughs> oh, I may have lost you. All right, so yeah, little, little technical difficulties there, but we're we're talking about the society and biodome, and uh, how people are naturally inclined to mm -hmm. to join tribes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, human beings are hardwired for tribes. That's who we are. Uh, at the, if society unravels, God forbid, but if society were to unravel, this discourse can't continue going down and find no common cause, then right, society will unravel to tribes. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think it goes to what you were saying too, is just start building your audience. And things that I'm doing too is build my own, build my own tribe. So yeah, look, you gotta get your skill sets, build your skills, you gotta squat up, and then eventually you're gonna take scalps. And when I say take scalps, I don't, <laughs> I don't mean it in the violent way or, or hurting people. I mean, get those small wins, you know, uh, motivate each other. Yeah. You know, if you're looking for some improvement in your health, your physical, you know, physical, if you know someone who's gone down the road that you've gone down, yeah. hey, get with that person and go level up yourself. You know, hey, look, you know somebody who's great at internet or, you know, or great at, you know, finance or something, connect with those people, trade with them. Going back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, lemonade stand and teaching values early and, you know, trade and free trade and you know, providing value early on. Look, go to someone that can help shore up your weak areas and say, look, man, you know, I'll pay for beer and everything and, and the trip out there, but can you, can I take you out here to the woods? You show me how to, you know, skin a deer or something like that, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. I'll compensate you for your time or something like that, you know, to just squat up. We don't want these things to happen. My goal is to try to forge alliances and foster conversation now before it gets to that point. But hey, look, man, yeah. I think uh, there's, what is that saying? Keep your powder dry to something like that. I'm, <laughs> definitely, I'm definitely yeah. squatting up with people who I can help, you know, and, and who yep. can help me yeah, just I in case things go sideways. Yeah, I've I've gone down that road a little bit. I, I've I've done a little keeping my powder dry, um, yeah. more or less. But um, I got I got hung up on the idea that there was going to be a collapse and things were falling apart. Cause it just no, I felt like it was going that way. I, you want to manifest that? I don't I don't believe in it anymore. Um, it could happen if it does, it does. But I'm I'm more in the mindset of how can we make things better? And uh, I really don't think things are half as bad as people make them out to be. But um, I still think that doesn't mean you can rest on your laurels and expect everything to just work out smoothly I, I think it's it's pertinent that we work to build each other up and we work to to share what we've learned 
because that's what we're here for. We've all got our story to tell, and that's what you know society is: it's us sharing our story with each other, and then sharing it with the younger generation. Yep. And by doing that, that's how you grow a culture. That's how we grow as people. You know, reweave that cultural natural tapestry. Absolutely. Yeah, weave that natural that natural cultural tapestry. I, I love that idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's for sure. it's it's serious, man. So. No, I think that's a good way to wrap it up, actually. So we've got it's been fun, man. It's been a lot of fun. I think we could talk again. I think we've got more stuff to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to. (laughs) Uh, You're you're an interesting person. I'm glad you came on. Thank you, likewise. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, man. So, yeah, I'm about to go take my kids and wander into the woods and go hiking a little bit. (laughs) Have fun. Have fun. Have fun. I'm going to go disconnect for a little while. (laughs) I think everyone needs that once in a while. Um, So, yeah, you got to unplug. Yeah, yeah. So, anything you want to share and wrap this up? Any last points? Um, Where can people find you? Because that's that's an interesting one. A lot of people are just simply on Twitter. You've got a few different places. Yeah, no, Twitter. Twitter's good to find me. I have... uh, conversations going on there i'm not as active on the timeline i'm going to start doing that though a lot of it had to do with formulating and, and testing some of the things that i have going on i found it story war society yeah i have to finish up a little bit of the landing page on that but yeah connect with me at story war society or on twitter we have some very interesting conversations with a audience bandwidth going on lots of people contributing. it is a battle of narratives it is a battle of ideas and yeah. if you can't have that particular you know, voluntary um discourse then you gotta get your story out there and drown in there if that's the case then you know yeah. it doesn't have to be violent just beat them at the game beat them at competition get your story out there if you're sitting on the fence i can't speak for you too you know think about what you're doing suspend your disbelief get out there and make it happen yep yeah sometimes you just gotta get out of your own way there's a, there's a lot of self-doubt and a lot of um um obsessive planning yeah, there's a lot of stuff imposter syndrome yeah even even i struggle with that don't worry it's it's normal um yep. but yeah you just gotta just gotta get out there and twitter's great because you can practice a lot of stuff you can you can throw some ideas out there and you get that instant feedback like oh no one likes that idea <laughs> <laughs> we'll scrap that <laughs> right <laughs> the wisdom of the crowd on that one that's a no-no <laughs> oh I, I did it all the time especially when i'm like working on a book i'll be like writing something and i'm like I don't, I don't know about this sentence i'll just tweet it out like no yeah. context Sur- survey says <laughs> yeah like, oh shit well let's, let's rework that <laughs> but, yeah man so, things that's good um yeah, some, some really great points there. So, so build your skills, squat up, make some small wins. I like that. Um, network with people and, and, and weave that cultural tapestry. So I think we're going to end it on that. And uh, if, if Ray pays his internet bill, maybe he'll get to wrap up. <laughs> I need to sacrifice a couple of more cell phones to the gods of technology. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. It's all good. So, <laughs> So thanks for coming. Awesome on. conversation. And uh, pleasure's yeah, all mine. I think this is gonna be a good one. I think we'll get a lot of hits on it. So we'll we'll probably do another one. So 
Uh, right, follow man. that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> yeah give go give ray a, a follow and uh go check out what he's doing he's he's telling an interesting story all right thanks thank ray. you ray. thanks man signing off thank you everyone if you enjoyed this episode of the pat's Manus podcast be sure to write us a review that way we can reach more men that are lost and need direction in their life And if you feel that you are lost and you need direction in your life, or you simply are looking for brotherhood, a sense of belonging, a place where you can be a man, a traditional man, and be around other men who are motivated and working to build something themselves, check out patreon.com slash pathsmanlinist to gain access to the private Discord server where you can connect with other highly motivated individuals.